0: time was getting close. Jesus knew it. The disciples felt something was about to happen. Uh, Change, separation. There was a sense of anxiety. There was a sense of feeling like they might be left alone. They were definitely feeling like they were not at home. And Jesus speaks. He speaks into their lives. He speaks into their uncertainty. And he speaks of what is to come. If you love me, do the things I have taught you to do. When that happens, God the Father will send his spirit, God fully, to be with you. He'll live within you, he'll be in you. You see, when you obey my teachings, my Father, he loves that. The obedient life is one that welcomes our presence. It's in that kind of life that we will make our home. I've said all of this to you while I'm still here with you, but you know, I'm going away. That's why the Father will send the Holy Spirit to you. He will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. So peace, peace for your hearts, may peace be upon you. Don't be troubled and don't be afraid. I will not leave you as orphans without a home. I'm going to my home to prepare a place for you. And I will come back and take you home with me that where I am, you will be also.
1: The passage of scripture that Jeff was reading from is from John chapter 14, where we're going to look at today, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. All of them at one time we're going to look at today. And I would invite you to grab a Bible. When I was 19 years of age, many of you know a portion of this story, but probably not this detail. I I was asked by a a group called Living Sound if I would consider traveling with them. And it was very formative for me. I thought it was only gonna be six months, it ended up being five years. Uh, but the, the, they, they said, hey, we need a piano player and a trombone player, you fit the bill, will you come join us? And uh, the goal was, this is in February of 1978, 19 years of age, I mean, I was, hadn't seen much of the world or anything. And, and they invited me. They said, you have to be in New York. I can't remember what day it was. Where you need to be in New York by 2 o'clock on a particular afternoon. And so I flew from Vancouver uh, to Seattle. But, and then I was going to take a connecting flight to New York. And we were going to get on a TWA flight then and go to, to Great Britain and start the European tour. It was very exciting, as you can imagine, 19 years of age for somebody to say, I'll pay you to do this. I was so thrilled. And... Um, the problem was the plane got socked in in Vancouver and we couldn't get off the ground because of fog. We, I remember sitting on the plane for three hours. You're not allowed to do that anymore. But we sat on the plane for three hours. And uh, consequently, I missed the connecting flight out of Seattle to New York. And I didn't get to New York till about 6 o'clock at night. and. Uh, Obviously, I landed in the domestic terminal. I had to get to the international terminal of TWA, that one that looks like a bird. Perhaps you've seen photos of that before. It's an iconic building. And uh, I'm there at Kennedy, and I walk in the room where the, where the, the ticket counter is, and it is a mass of people. I mean, unbelievable numbers of people. And I'm going, I cannot make my way through this crowd. I don't know where the group is. I knew no one's name in the group. I've been, I was a contract I had with the business manager and that sort of stuff and I didn't know anybody. So I've got his name and his phone number and there's no one around that I even see that looks like a group. Well, come to find out they were virtually on the plane. And uh, so I had, I had one of those blue puffy jackets. You've seen those probably. They're, they're coming back in style. So I can say I was contemporary before contemporary giver came in, right? And so it looked like the Michelin Man. You've seen those, right? And, and I had a suitcase full of clothes for six months, a trombone, an overnight bag, and a briefcase. And so it was like this. I, and then I got on the bus to go to the terminal. I got on the wrong bus. The time is, pa- I'm panicked, you know? So if I, the bus driver takes me to the right terminal. I get out there and there's all these people. It would have taken three hours to get through the line. So I actually pushed my way to the front of the line and I said to the lady, I'm here with living sound. And her eyes are as big as mine. She has no idea what living sound is. And I said, we're supposed to fly. I was supposed to fly to, to uh, London today. She said, well, the flight's already boarding, sir. And so you might go down the terminal, down to the, down to the gate. So I go racing down that red carpet you see there. It was there. And it, I went, and I'm carrying everything. Because she said, just take everything to the plane with you. You don't get to do that these days either, right? And I get to the plane, I got all my luggage, and I know no one's name except the business manager who I know is in Tulsa. And so I say to the, to the lady there at the, at, at, the, at the door of the plane, I'm supposed to be with a group flying to, to Europe today, and um, the name of the business manager is Warren Merkel, and somebody, they had made an announcement, well, somebody who knows Warren Merkel, please come to the front of the plane. They come to the plane. It's like two minutes before they're closing the door and they come and say, Wayne, uh, we left a ticket for you back at the calendar. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and you're not making this flight today. We've got a hotel booked for you. Meet us in London tomorrow, take the same flight, but we'll be waiting for you at Heathrow. Okay, you're 19 years of age. You've never been to New York before. You don't know where the hotel, I-, I had a lot to learn. I'm trudging back down through this thing, okay? And finally get to the hotel the next day. I took the next flight the next day. I arrived in London and there was nowhere to be seen. No one, did, I mean, I knew nobody. And so I have nothing except the name and the phone number of the guy back in Tulsa and about $200 in my pocket. Scared like you can't believe. And so I go to a British phone and try to figure out how to make a collect call to Tulsa, Oklahoma, Finally talked to Warren Merkel, and he goes, well, Wayne, they're no longer in London. They're now up in Manchester. You have to get to Manchester. Here's their phone number. Well, welcome to the group. You know, and so I call them up. They say, Wayne, just take the train up. It's not a big deal. Okay. All right. So I go downstairs to the train station at the bottom in, in the basement of Heathrow, and I tell the lady what I have to do, and she goes, well, sir, it's really quite easy you're going to take the tube in, and you would normally go to Victoria Station, but because of some line work, you're to have to get off at a... I can't remember what station it was. And you have to go upstairs. It's three floors down below. Go up the stairs. Is there an elevator? No, there's no elevator. Go up the stairs, and um, then catch a bus to Victoria Station, and then you'll catch a train. And I'm going, oh, okay. And I've got all this luggage. And I said, ma'am, I have all this luggage. What do you think I should do with this? And I remember she stood up, and she looked over the edge of the counter, and she looked at the luggage... And then I could see that she was figuring out what she was going to say to me because she's looking and her eyes just came up real slowly. And she met mine and she said, you're never going to make it, my dear. <laughs> <laughs> that was my introduction to solo international travel. And I, had a lot, I did make it, obviously, and did get there. And it was, um, I grew up a lot in those 48 hours. I really did. Uh, it's, it really helped me so that anything I've faced as we've traveled around the world at various points since then, nothing really frightens me anymore per se. Uh, I want to talk to you day, today about growing up. No matter your age, I would suspect that God's got some places where he'd say, I, I, I want you to make it with whatever baggage you're carrying. And I want you to grow up. So let's look at John chapter 15 is where we're going to start, okay? John chapter 15, beginning at verse 26. and We're going to read into chapter 16 as well, okay? John chapter 15, verse 26 says, When the Advocate comes, this is Jesus speaking, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you, I mean, this is him saying they're going to kill you, okay? And when anyone kills you, they will think they are offering a service to God. They'll do such things because they've not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when their time comes, you'll remember that I warned you about them. I didn't tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks me where you're going, rather you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go I will send him to you. And when he comes he'll prove to the world to be he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because people don't believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. In other words, he's going to teach, All right? He'll guide you into all the truth. He won't speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. I need to tell you, this is a very difficult passage of Scripture to understand. It's Jesus speaking, and if you're new to the story of Jesus' life, and maybe not done a lot of study, I mean, this is a lot of, whoa, what does it all mean? Let me see if I can give you the setting. And that will help you. Last week we started a sermon series that focuses on conversations that Jesus had with various individuals, beginning at Luke 9.51 through to his his death at his execution. Um, the focus has been that in Luke 9:51, Jesus' ministry shifts dramatically. He's up in the Galilee area. Actually, in Luke 9, he's in Samaria. And he there's this passage of scripture where Luke says, hey. Jesus chose to resolutely say, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. And we are going to look at conversations between that decision and his death between now and Easter. We're going to kind of walk that with Jesus. And to help you prepare for that and be walking this journey with Jesus throughout the, if you will, the Easter season, moving into Easter, you'll notice there's a study guide in today's bulletin. If you take that out and use it this coming week, it'll help you prepare for next week, okay? Matt Hoagland, one of the young men from our church is in seminary, has graciously prepared those for us, and he's done a great job with that. And we, we started last week with Luke 9, where Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem, and today we're bringing all the way to the end where it's the last conversation he has with his disciples before he dies, because where we are in, in the Gospel of John right here is Jesus' Last Supper. And in the weeks ahead, we'll fill in the details in between. And he's having a conversation with his disciples, and it's hours before his death, and we've got this business in Luke, I mean, in John chapter 15, he says, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you go, what's that all about? Well, he's talking about what we would commonly call the Holy Spirit. Some of you who have um, maybe versions of Scripture right now that instead of using the word advocate, it might have counselor or it might have, um, it might have comforters, things like that. The word there is paracletos, which uh, if you will, if you wanted to call the Holy Spirit who he is in Greek, it's called him the paraclete. And he is the, the tri, one of the portions of the triune God where God walks alongside us He provides comfort, he provides counsel, he advocates for us, for followers of Jesus Christ, not between us and God. There's only one mediator between us and God, namely Jesus Christ, and the mediation between us and God is the blood of Jesus Christ that was given for our sins on the cross of Calvary. But when we call the, the, the Holy Spirit our advocate, it is to mean that he's walking alongside us and as we engage the culture and the world around us, it's the Holy Spirit who teaches us and advocates on our behalf to, to the culture. And we learn about the culture from his work in our lives. But here's the truth of the matter. Jesus is saying this person Spirit of God is coming, and the disciples really can't even hear that because they get caught up on verse 7 of chapter 16 when he says, I tell you very truly it's for your good that I'm going away. And they're, they're kind of messed with, that's messed with their heads. What do you mean you're going away, Jesus? How can that be good? Well, do you know there are some benefits to the fact that Jesus left his disciples? What might, what might those be? Well, one of the reasons that Jesus left his disciples, obviously, was to go die. If he had not left his disciples, he wouldn't have died. And thus, we wouldn't be experiencing one of this great benefit, that we live in this grace kingdom that God initiated through Jesus Christ. See, we get to, we get to experience Jesus Christ and the work of God because, well... If Jesus had just stayed around with his disciples, he would have only been able to minister to the people around him who were in Galilee or in Israel some 2,000 years ago. But by leaving his disciples and dying, he brought into, into being a grace kingdom, and Jesus left to die so that we could experience grace, so that we could experience forgiveness of sin. And then based on that, We get to have the Holy Spirit walk with us, the Spirit of Jesus with us in each and every place. Jesus' ministry is no longer stuck, if you will, in ancient Israel 2,000 years ago. But now the ministry of Jesus Christ is available to all people and the Spirit of God can infuse us. Here we are 2,000 years or more removed from that and we're a lot of miles removed from Galilee. And Jesus' work is available to us today. The power and the presence of God is not over there and back that time. No. Jesus' presence is here today through the work of his Holy Spirit. And we get to experience that. We get to be infused with that power. And it is dramatic power. We have this great example for uh, for us to look at in Scripture that shows us what happens for a person working without the Spirit of God within them versus the Spirit of God in them. Here's the story. It's the story of a man by the name of Peter. We have this business where Jesus says, I'm going away. And if you'll flip through your Bible there, you'll notice that this has this long discussion, all of chapter 14, 15, 16, all of 17. And then you get to chapter 18, and that's when the meal that they're eating ends. Jesus gets arrested in, um, he gets arrested in verse um, 12. And he's carried away, and the disciples were undone. Two of them, we think it's John, and we know it's Peter, Peter and we think John, decide to follow Jesus. And they are terrified at what's taken place. Their whole world has been turned upside down in a bad way, and they get to Caiaphas' house where Jesus is put on trial. And through a series of circumstances, Peter comes into the yard where Jesus is on trial. And he's standing at a a fire, warming himself. And a young girl comes up to Peter and says, hey, I can tell by your accent. You're from Galilee. Are you sure you weren't one of the, are you one of Jesus, you're one of Jesus' disciples, right? And Peter is so undone by everything that's happened. He goes, no, I'm not, I'm not at all. We know it as Jesus, pardon me, we know it as Peter's denial. And we have this man who is on, in Jesus' inner, inner circle. There's 12 apostles and there's three guys inside of that who work with Jesus very closely. Peter just says, no, I'm not one of these guys. Don't count me in the group. And if you know the storyline that we go from there to Jesus being executed, to him being buried, to him rising from the dead, and then he's with people, he's some 500 people see him in the 40 to 50 days between his resurrection and when he goes to heaven. And then in Acts chapter 2, we have the beginning of a dramatic shift in the lives of all the apostles, including Peter. In Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, we read that the day of Pentecost came. And they were all together in one place. And, and we, there's this description of the Holy Spirit coming in. And all of those people in that room just being infused with the Holy Spirit. And then Peter, the coward, Peter, the guy who can't handle even a young girl asking him if he's a disciple of Jesus, stands up in front of them in Acts 2, verse 14. He stood, stood up with the 11. He raises his voice and he addresses the crowd and he says, fellow Jews and all of you live here. And he goes into a, a sermon basically and it, it all comes to a head beginning when you get to Verse 32. And he goes, God has raised this Jesus to life. We are all witnesses of it. And therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. And God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. (laughs) A few weeks earlier, he's, no, I'm not with Jesus. I'm not going to do anything that's going to draw attention to myself. But now he's saying to thousands of people who are listening, he's bold enough to say, you guys crucified him how is he able to make that shift? To go from being a coward, if you will, to being this leader, to being this tremendous preacher? It's all because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, verse 1, when the Holy Spirit came, actually actually saw tongues of fire actually land on them. And Peter has this tremendous message. and You know what the result was? 3,000 people convert. 3,000 people say, what do we need to do to be saved is the question they ask. Peter says, brothers, this is for you. This coming of Jesus is for you and for all who are far off. Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus. 3,000 of them did that. They go from a small congregation to a large congregation like that, and the church is started. What brought all that about? The work of the Holy Spirit in the church, in the apostles, and particularly in Peter's life. And so, Jesus says, It's good for me to go away because if I go away, I'll bring the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to teach you and lead you into all kinds of truth. And you're going to change. You're going to be different than you were. I don't know how this happened, but Pastor Brian and I were on the air this week, and this business of change came up. I think we were responding to a phone call or something or other. Somebody brought this up and Brian says, well, you know, I was 22 when I first came to this church as a young pastor and I'm 33 now. I've learned a lot in the last 11 years. And I said, well, what have you learned, Brian? We've got 5,000 people listening. And he goes, he says, well, you know, I'm 33 years of age right now. Jesus was 33 when he was in ministry, so I'm more like Jesus than most people listening right now. I said Jesus died at 33, too. (laughs) But uh, he's made an interesting comment. He said that, you know, I keep a journal, Wayne, and um, about every three years I go back and I evaluate where I was three years ago. And it's amazing to see the changes that have taken place in my life. And I'm not the same man that I used to be huh, that's what I want. If you're like me, I don't want to be the same man today that I was yesterday. And I don't want to be the same day, man tomorrow that I am today. And it might, be, it might be in week-long chunks or it might be in three, long, three months or three-year chunks, but I want to change. I want to learn and discover and experience all that God wants me to experience and I'm up for that. I would suspect that most of us in the room are. And if so, how do you access? How do you access that business of God working in our lives and walking beside us, the Holy Spirit walking along beside us to change us? Well, there's some ways to do that. There's a beginning step that's absolutely essential. The beginning step to accessing the work of the Holy Spirit in you and to change you and to teach you, to give power to you and change you, if you will, from the coward like Peter to the courageous leader like Peter. The beginning step is to acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or here's language that you might understand, as your leader and forgiver. The Holy Spirit, the work of Jesus Christ, the ongoing presence of Jesus among, in our lives as the Holy Spirit, is only available to those who make a commitment to Christ. And if you have not yet made a commitment to Jesus Christ and you want the Holy Spirit, then you've got to start by accessing the work of Jesus Christ at Calvary. And the blood of Christ needs to be applied to your life for forgiveness of sins so that when God looks at you, he doesn't see the mess-ups that you've had, but instead sees the work of Jesus Christ covering all of that. If you don't have that in play yet today, before the end of this gathering here today, meet me here right here at the front, and I'd love to pray with you. The other staff members would love to pray with you and have Jesus Christ become the leader and forgiver of your life. And then once that happens, then the work of the Spirit begins to come in and change you bit by bit. We, we say, okay, God, I'm willing to be changed, I'm willing to grow, I wanna to, want to be like Peter and shift who I am, and it's, it's, it's like this, that God, as the master artisan, is able to work with you. It's like, if you're a chunk of marble or a block of wood, he can see this tremendous sculpture that who, of who you are, this thing of beauty within that, scu- within that block of marble, and he's gonna bring it out, and you go, okay, bring it on, bring it on, God. Make me into the, into the person of beauty that I'm supposed to be. Well, fair enough, but do you know, how, how, how do you get a block of marble to go from a block of marble to a gorgeous statue? Well, it often involves a chisel and a hammer, and there's some knocking, and there's some powerful hitting, and somebody in the form of the Holy Spirit's got to knock that chip off your shoulder at times, Right? And and when that chip comes off, it lands on the ground, and the and the sculpture doesn't get to say, "Hey, I want that chip back because it belongs to me." No, the artist says, "No, it's got to come off in order for the shoulder to be shaped perfectly and to be a thing of beauty." When we say we want to access the work of the Holy Spirit through through the death of Jesus Christ, and we're willing to say, "Okay, I want to be open. I want to have my eyes open to the Holy Spirit's teaching," it often, frankly can be pretty tough. And we got to be willing to bend and move and have a few chips knocked off now and then. It's quite a mysterious work when you think about it. And that's part of who God is. Part of experiencing the Holy Spirit is acknowledging the mystery of God's work, that God created time and space and is outside time and space. You know, for us, we, we, we can only see yesterday's and today's. But since God created space, and then within space put the sun there, which governs our time, then he's beyond all that. And all of our collective thoughts together are still stuck in yesterday and today. We can't figure out tomorrow. But God, living above time, sees your yesterdays, he sees your todays, and he knows and sees your tomorrows. Find great hope in that. Because there are times when I experience lots of questions about where life is and what's going on in your life or the life of our church, life of our family, my life. And it's not like I'm complaining per se, but I, I've got some questions about life and I find great hope in the fact that God is outside of all of that and knows where I'm going. And if I'm willing to walk alongside the Holy Spirit, the, this advocate who's called alongside to help, then I'm trying to learn to trust. We've got some stories of that in Scripture. You have the people of Israel. They're slaves for 400 years in Egypt. Through a man named Moses and God's work in Moses' life, they leave Egypt. They're going to be free. They're emancipated. They go racing across eastern Egypt, and they come to the Red Sea, and there's nowhere to go, and the Egyptian army is right behind them, and they don't know what to do. Well, this is a fine kettle of fish you've got me in God. Moses must have said, where's the leadership in this? And God says, put your arms up in the air. And he puts his arms up in the air. Maybe you've read this passage in Exodus. And it says the wind blew all night. And it literally parted the Red Sea. How did that work? I don't know. That's a mystery of God. They go across into the Sinai Peninsula and they wander around there for 40 years being led by God. They come to the first city they're supposed to take. By this time in 40 years, they become a pretty strong army. And God says, I want you to take Jericho. And they say, okay, we're going to do that. And you can imagine they're preparing their bows and arrows and those flames on the ends of those arrows. And they've got their battering rams ready to go up against the walls of Jericho. And God says, no, we're not going to do it that way. That's the hard way. You want to do it the easy way? Follow me. Walk with me here's my plan I want you to walk around Jericho's for seven days walk around one time each day and on the seventh day walk around seven times at the end of seven times raise your arms and praise God and you know what happened that's what they did and the walls came down talk about a mystery I would like to know how that worked I'd like to know how the virgin birth worked how did that conception take place that boggles my mind how is it that Jesus is coming back a second time? That boggles my mind. And yet God sees yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and he is not bothered at all by time or by the things that we can't see. And if we believe that we follow God, if we believe there is a God, if we believe that Jesus is indeed God's son, then we have to acknowledge the mystery of God because it's all outside our dimensions. Our dimensions. And God must be in the 17th trillion dimension, if you will, compared to where we are. Yeah, there's mystery. I, I'm like you. I like it lined. I like everything lined up. And I like the science of all that lined up. But if, you want, if you've got to have a line to go from here to here to here to here, and then you, you stop there, you're stopping short of who God is. You're making God as big as science can be. Is that the kind of God you want to serve? Mm-mm. step into the mysteries and as you step into the mysteries you know what happens next you get to discover the surprises of God i've had some surprises along my way you have too i'm sort certain and i need to be truthful and tell you that sometimes those of us in the christian world we're not really honest with ourselves or with people who are investigating christianity and we make christianity be this really this wonderful journey at all times. And I gotta tell you, sometimes the Christian journey is not all it's cracked up to be. Sometimes it's really, really hard. You've seen those signs probably on churches where, where they have you know, the, cha- the signs that can change and they say, no Jesus, K-N-O-W, Jesus, no peace. And when I read that, I wanna go, you know, that's not really, we're all rowing on the same team and that just doesn't seem really helpful to me because it seems really trite. To have somebody drive by and go, no Jesus, no peace. Because immediately they're going to go. If they don't know Christ, they go, yeah, right. And lots of Christians will go, well, I don't know. But I do know this. In the midst of facing the Red Seas, somehow or other, I've learned over experience. God does part the waters. And sometimes in the midst of trying to take Jericho... And I go out of my way, and then God says, no, you're not going to win that way, but go out of my way, and you know what? The walls do come down. And sometimes when I don't understand how something gets birthed, by golly, it still comes along. And there's hope for tomorrow. I have to say this, that I know what it's like to sweat it out at 3 o'clock in the morning. And people say no peace, and I mean no Jesus and no peace. And I want to go. Well, I'm not feeling a lot of peace right here at three o'clock in the morning. But then, if I can get past just this portion of my life and go deeper, I do go. Well, there's truth there. At the base of who I am, I got to say God's in charge. And I'm I'm stressing at this level, but down here I'm hanging on. And because of the mysteries of God, I'm willing to discover where, how God's going to work and surprise me in this. And I want to give you a, a sense of how that's working right now in my life, because I've laid, in recent weeks, I seem to be in somewhat of a reflecting mood. I think it's because our church is right on the cusp of some really important days, and you're going to learn about that more once we get through Easter. And, you know, a number of us have been working on stuff for about a year now. It's all part of this 10, uh, reaching our city for Christ, 10% of the city in the next 10 years. And. Um, So I'm reflecting a lot and I want to tell you where my heart is right now and I'm a little cautious to do this this weekend because I don't want to manipulate because pastors can do that by doing this sort of stuff but just to be really vulnerable with you today. We sit down over here in the services and um, when, when I'm preaching it's my responsibility to come up here and to see if we can open God's word together and Can I tell you the first thought that goes through my mind every weekend when I get up here? I go, where did all these people come from? And who do they think they're listening to? Because you know, here's the truth. The struggles you have are the struggles I have. And the words that you use to frame your questions are the words that I use to frame my questions. And I have no right in and of myself to stand here on a Sunday or a Saturday night and say, thus saith the Lord, this is how you should live your life on Monday morning. I don't know about all that. But I do tell you this, I'm up for the journey with you. I'm up to see how we're gonna figure it out together. And if I could be really candid, For some of you in the room here today, I mean, just looking around here, I know the journey of a lot. I know the journey of a lot. Can I be, Joe, the last three years, man, let's not do that again. Joe faced cancer and, you know, praise God how healthy you are. But I don't wanna do that again if you don't mind, okay? (laughs) Pam, Dawn. Every year that anniversary comes around, doesn't it? They lost their son. I know that story. Dr. Lou, every Monday morning you go in there and you wonder, I'm gonna take people's lives in my hands. Can I do it right? Rodney? Is this the week, you ask? Is Tanya's last week this week? I mean, I could make my way around this audience today, and we'd, I'm up for the journey. See, I'm not the 19-year-old kid I was many years ago when that woman looked at me in Great Britain and said, you would never make it, my dear. I'm not like that. As a matter of fact, if I go back to 19 years of age, I got to tell you the end is a lot closer than that. That kid of 19 years of age, and I just want to make certain: can I finish well? Can I do it right? Can I work with passion for a lot of years yet? I don't want to create those days and recreate them. And when I tell you those stories, it's not to try to live in the past by any means, but to kind of say. Where are we going for the future? And I just, I want to finish strong. I want to finish well. And I want to journey together. And some of that journey is dangerous. Some of it is really scary. Some of it is really just absolutely thrilling. But I do know this. If we walk together, if we have the Holy Spirit's work walking with us on this trip, we'll follow Jesus and he'll be glorified. You know, again, John chapter 16, verse 14. Oh, it'll be on the screen. The spirit of truth Jesus said, we'll guide you into all the truth. And what's going to happen as a result? He will glorify me because it's from me that you will receive what he will make known to you. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to glorify Jesus Christ. Let the Holy Spirit glorify Jesus Christ. And in the process, see how we're going to live life. And so this morning, we're going to use that song that we kind of brought back to your memory of a few minutes ago. And just declare our love for Christ for what he did for us on Calvary and the mystery of his ways, being captivated by his spirit and all that. And as we sing this song, kind of just rest in it and say, Lord, I'm in for the journey. I don't want to be the coward. I want to be the courageous leader. I'm inviting you to stand together and let's sing, please. Let's sing. I'm so in love with, with the
0: cheese. a man
1: Lord, uh, there's a lot of questions we all have about life, and there's a lot of mystery that we want to step into, and help us to get past um, just wanting it all to line up so perfectly that we we become scientific, um, scientific machines. Instead, God, see the beauty within us, and Knock off the chips that need to come off and make us into the the people of beauty you want us to be. We're up for the journey, God. And we're asking for you to be in the middle of it all. In Jesus' name.